Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Welcome, Edward. morning everyone it's good that you can hear me um, it is it is lovely uh, to be back uh, again here at Union Chapel and to share fellowship with um, you all this morning I am once again really thankful and blessed by the opportunity to bring God's word to you God's beloved people But before we continue, I think it's just right for us to ask God for his help and blessing as we look at his word. Pray with me. Our God of wisdom and power, we ask for your help this morning. As we look into your precious and holy word, we plead with you to open our ears to hear you speak. And may your Holy Spirit grant us wisdom to apply your truths into our lives. And we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. One of the things I find fascinating about living in the UK is the way how time flies so quickly over here. I don't know what it is. 
but it definitely feels like time disappears here faster than it does in Peru, where I come from. It was September that I was last here sharing with you, and now we're in December. And soon, the whole world will be celebrating Christmas. You see, uh, we see people getting ready for Christmas. It's in public displays on the high street, in shops and Christmas markets throughout the country. Very soon, if they aren't out already, we'll see lights and decoration on houses too. Perhaps you've got your decorations up at home. Father Christmas says snowman, Christmas trees, tinsel, and so on. Families are looking forward to a joyful time with loved ones, giving and receiving presents underneath a Christmas tree and enjoying loads of food. As the whole world gets ready for Christmas, the temptation for us Christians is to go along with the world in its preparations. However, you might have noticed something missing. Nobody talks about or mentions the Christmas story. Nobody talks or mentions the Christmas story. What good is it to prepare for Christmas without the Christmas story? And what good is the Christmas story without God and His glory? You see, Christmas is more than just a story of a baby born in a manger. More than a poor fiancé engaged to a humble virgin. More than magi, more than gold, frankincense and myrrh. It's more than than the narrative of a nativity scene. Christmas is the coming of the Messiah. The fulfillment of God's prophecy of a suffering servant coming into the world to die in the place of sinful men and women. So that he will receive the full fury of God's righteous judgment upon himself instead of them. So, we want to prepare for Christmas. Then let's, as Isaiah 42 and verses 1 remind us, look at the servant. And I like the, the translation on the ESV because he says, Behold the servant. And this morning we'll be looking at uh, one of those prophetic, uh, prophetic passages in Isaiah 42. Uh, the question read for us this morning. Now, in order to understand Isaiah 42, it's in, in, important for us to, to understand a little bit of what was going on during um, the time that Isaiah wrote. You see, Isaiah is writing to a people who are in exile. It's a time of great trauma and crisis. And yet God says to his people, Behold my servant. And here for Isaiah brings the first of four servant songs. The other three are found later on uh, in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah 42, 1 to 9, shows three very important details about the servant of the Lord. He shows us his identity, his mission, and his character. First, let's look at his identity. So who is this servant? Now, the word servant is used several times in the Bible. 
and is used several times in Isaiah. At times it is used to uh, refer to Israel, the people of God, and other times uh, to indicate other individuals. So who is this servant? In Isaiah chapter 40, um, uh, Isaiah chapter 40 speaks about the glory and the majesty of God. Isaiah chapter 41 speaks about the danger of instead of trusting God, people will turn their minds and hearts to the idols of the land of Babylon. For the people exiled in the land of Babylon, everything looks as if God has been defeated. That he is no longer present with them. Instead, all they can see are these massive idols of gods in these massive temples. And they are tempted to trust in these idols. Look how, how um, the Israelites encourage each other. In Isaiah 41, verse 6 to 7, says, Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Take courage. The craftsman encourages the goldsmith, and he who smooths uh, with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, says of the soldering, It is good. And they are fastening it with nails so that it cannot be moved. Despite the people's rejection of God, God comes and warns them. Why should you trust in idols when you have the Lord? Behold, he says in Isaiah 41, 29, they are all delusion, their works are nothing, their molten images are empty wind. These idols are delusions, they are empty, they are helpless, they are hopeless, and they are useless. Yet, that doesn't seem to matter at all because when people are in trouble, the very thing they do is to turn to their idols. And this isn't just true for the Israelites back then, but very true even today. You see, when we talk about idols, we're not just talking about blocks of wood or stone. We're talking about what someone defines as a hard um, level substitute for the real God. That's what an idol is, a hard-level substitute for the real God. Something we can trust, something we put our confidence in, something that gives our lives meaning, something that we turn to for satisfaction or hope. And when, and when trouble comes, these are the very things we put our trust in. And the truth is, that we can make idols of anything. And often the idols that we make are good things. They're gifts from God. But instead of worshipping the giver, we worship the gift. It could be our family, our possession, our career, and the list goes on. And we make, and we make this a source of our confidence. And God reminded the Israelites then... And he reminds us today, if you worship these idols, if you trust in these idols, you are a fool. Because these images are nothing but empty wind. Instead, God says, and now we arrive to Isaiah 42, and verse 1. Behold, my servant. Isaiah is saying, look. At God's servant. He did something different. Look at my servant. Look at my son. When you're in trouble. 
you can turn to him. You can trust him. My servant will never lay you down. He is the one you could always trust. Why? Because verse 1. God sent him. He is the servant of the Lord. God called him to a mission. His life is determined by the mission of God. This servant will do the will of God. The one who sent him. You see? I was brought up in a um, Roman Catholic home. And I used to think that in order to please God, I needed to make every effort to attend the Mass, follow the sacraments, confession of sins before the priests, and so on. And because of my many failings, many times I went on pilgrimage walks and walked for miles and miles, hoping that God will see my effort and grant me his forgiveness. And that's Catholicism. And like Catholicism, all the other religions in the world teach that man must do anything to reach God. And the truth is that no matter how hard man tries to find and reach God, it is impossible for a sinful man or woman to enter God's holy presence by their own merits. But the Bible says, God has done the impossible. By coming down into the darkness of this world to rescue us, to save us. So God sent his servant to seek and find the lost. He came looking for you and me. God sent his son into the world so that you and I can have hope and be rescued. So if you have repented from your sins and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have been found a sinner saved by grace. You have been rescued by God's servant. God sent the servant and the purpose, the will, the mind and the heart of this servant was always to please God. At the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And he's filled with anguish, sorrow, and, and he's under so much pressure that he's sweating drops of blood. Now, if I was in Jesus' shoes at that very moment, I would have run away to safety. But no, the servant. In fact, the servant says to the father, know my will, but yours be done. The servant sent by God surrenders his will utterly, totally, completely to the will of his father. So the servant was sent by God. But also you can trust in this servant because God upholds him. This is my servant whom I uphold, says the Lord in verse 1. And the word uphold here means to grip, to support, to keep, to uphold the servant by the power of the Holy Spirit, especially for the overwhelming task the servant will undertake. Look what the Father says in verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. Can you see what God is saying? He's saying to, to the servant, I will hold your hand in the darkest moments. I will send my spirit upon you. And this is exactly what we see when Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism. The spirit comes down 
and equips the servant. And equips him for ministry, service, preaching, teaching, and for what he is going to accomplish later on on the cross. And at the cross, Jesus wasn't um, just shedding his blood and giving his body as a sacrifice for the sins and rebellion of one person. No. He was giving himself as the unblemished lamb to be sacrificed and take the sins of all people, of everyone who repents and believes. He was taking your sins and mine. Jesus bore God's holy wrath even though he was completely pure and without sin, utterly righteous, Jesus took on the sin of the world and felt the pain of being abandoned by God, by God crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, when Jesus went to the cross, it was a supreme, the supreme moment of sacrifice that could not be reproduced. No one else could do it. It could, have, um, it, it could never have done it any other way. And Jesus the servant accomplished perfectly and beautifully in God's eyes. And he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. At the moment when God was bringing judgment on his own son, the servant, God was upholding him. Upholding him in, in this darkest moment, empowering him by the Spirit. And there at the cross... We see the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What a picture. What a Savior. What a servant who did it all in love for you and me. So, now we can trust in this servant because God chose him. This servant is unique. He is God's chosen one. When did God choose him? Before the foundation of the world. You see, God sending um, his servant wasn't a plan B. The coming of sin into the world didn't take God for, by surprise. He knew even before um, creating the first man and woman that they would disobey and allow sin to stain all that God had created. God knew it was going to happen. But also God knew that he would send his own son to die on the cross and to reverse the curse of sin and bring hope, salvation and accomplish his eternal plan. So before God created the first three, he knew that there would be a cross. Before he created the first steel of iron, he knew there would be nails. Before he created Adam, the first man, he knew there would be a Judas. And though knowing all this, God went ahead. Chose his servant Jesus, the chosen one. Chosen him in the mind and heart of God before the foundation of the world. And you can trust in this servant because God delights in him. Verse 1, again, he is the servant in, in whom God delights. And God delights in him because he pleases God as a person, as a servant. And he will carry on, he will carry out the mission of God that was entrusted to him. God the Father delighted in, in the servant. Delighted in him as his son in eternity and he delighted in him on his obedience as he went to the cross. How much does God love you and me? He loves us enough to give his own son, the wonderful Savior. So, God says, when you're in trouble, look to my son. 
when you're in difficulty, look to my son. When life gets hard, painful, and tough, focus on the servant. Behold my servant. This is the description of the servant. And there is only one person who perfectly fits this description. Jesus, whom God sent, whom God chose, whom God upholds, and in whom God delights in. And the servant's identity is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now let's look secondly at his mission. The servant came with a mission. What is the mission about? It is described for us in the first four verses. In verse 1 he says, He will bring forth justice to the nations. And in verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. In verse 4, he will establish justice in the earth. Here, we see the word justice repeated three times. And you know what happens when a word is repeated three times? It must be important. And indeed, it is important because this word is a central part of the mission of the servant. Generally, when we think about justice, we think about punishment. So the servant is coming to apply punishment and clean the world of so much injustice. And this would be nice, right? Because we live in a world plagued with evil, sin and wickedness. We see evil actions everywhere we go. Not only in our time, throughout history. And we see the perpetrators, those who commit wicked things, escape punishment. It is like they laugh at justice in our world. But the Bible says, no one escapes God's justice. Because the day of of judgment is coming. And on that day, God will put everything right. He will deal with every injustice committed and will bring every perpetrator to account. God will bring justice and judgment to the earth. God has appointed the day when he will judge the whole world through his servant, Jesus. But his justice will not just punish evil, but he will, he will do more. But will put right everything that is wrong. His justice will repair the order of the universe. When God created the world, he said it was good. And it was perfect. And then sin came in and ruined everything. It ruined every relationship. It ruined our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, even our relationship with the environment. Yes, even the environment Because what do we do to this environment? We exploit it. Sin ruins everything. But God's justice, God's justice is putting everything right. This is what his justice means. Re-establishing the order that God had created. You see, Adam, the first man, failed in every area. But Jesus, the servant, Succeeded in everything. This servant will crush the serpent's head. He will put everything right. And we can see images of this um, during Jesus' early ministry. 
For instance, uh, for instance, in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus and his disciples were in a boat, he goes down, falls asleep, and a storm comes, and what does Jesus do? He wakes up, and he calms the storm. Nature recognizes his creator. And when they arrive on the shore, they are welcomed by, an evil, um, by a demon-possessed man. Now, this man's life is in chaos. He walks around naked. And sleeping, he sleeps in tombs. He cuts himself and he's violent. But then he meets Jesus. And he is freed. And he is restored to health. And do you know what happens to this, to this man afterwards? Well, now he's in his right mind. And he does exactly all that Jesus, uh, and he does, um, and here's exactly what Jesus asked him to do. To go and tell everyone all that Jesus has done for him. What do you call that? He's a missionary. This evil possessed man, after meeting Jesus, his life is transformed and he becomes a missionary. Here is a sinner saved from hell. And a missionary is born. And all of these are glimpses of what will be like when the servant brings justice, restores, and puts everything right. Pain, sorrow, sickness will be no more. This servant will not just rescue us from hell, but will bring about new heaven and a new earth restored. This is his mission. And he will do it. And how can we be sure of this? Well, look at verse 6. There God says, I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. The promise of the servant and his mission is so wonderful that the one making the promise states his credentials. Just as when we get a loan and the bank asks us for assurance we can fulfill our promise of payments. So here God gives us the assurance that the servant will come and accomplish his mission because God has called him. God has given the servant as a covenant, and that's God's word. And the servant will fulfill his mission, his purpose for which he was called, to bring salvation, not only for the Israelites, but also those afar off who sin beyond salvation. Look at, verse, at the end of verse 6 and verse 7. The servant was called to be a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And he will do miraculous works of restoration and healing, both physically and spiritually, and will give sight and freedom to many. The servant frees captives from prison. I don't know you, um, I don't know um, you or... But, uh, if you have experienced this, many of us felt um, the captivity of, of our guilt, trying countless hope um, for solutions to wash it all away. But nothing works except Jesus. He breaks our chains and sets us free. Once the slaves of sin, we have now been rescued. Our Savior releases, releases um, from the dan dungeon those who sit in darkness. If only they see his light. 
The serpent came down into the dungeon, into our enslavement, into our blindness and said, you failed and broken the law. And you are entirely unable to rectify your condition. But I save sinners. I open blind eyes. I release captives. I bring light. I have done everything required for you. Turn to me in simple faith. And trust and you will see. You will be free and your darkness will give way to light. And if you are a Christian this morning... You have been given that spiritual side. You have been freed. You have been reconciled to God in Christ. So when God looks on you, he doesn't see your sins. He sees the perfect work of Jesus done in you. Your sins are gone. All your debts have been paid. You have received the righteousness of Jesus. And finally, let's look at his character. In verse 2, 3, and 4, we see a description of the servant's character. In verse 2, we see he's humbled. He's a servant who shines total humility. Look what he says in verse 2. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. The servant doesn't go shouting on the streets. There is no show, no spectacle, no ostentation. The servant will go about his mission humbly and graciously. When Jesus enters Jerusalem... As the awaited and rightful king should be entering in a chariot. But he enters riding a donkey. You know what that means? That means he enters riding as a donkey, in a don- on a donkey as a symbol of peace. But not only that. And there he goes to the cross to bring real and eternal peace. He is humble. But this sermon is also gentle. Verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break and dimly burning um, wick will not quench. Now, a reed is a fairly fragile plant. Yet, if a reed is bruised, he says, the sermon will handle it so gently that he will not break it. A dimly burning wick used for tinder to start a fire that's not flame but only smokes. And the sermon will not quench it into extinguishing. Instead, the sermon will gently blow on the burning wick, fanning it into flame again. And this is how the sermon treats human beings. You see, there are two types of, of people in the world. Those who are frail and vulnerable, and they know it. And those frail and vulnerable who don't know it, in this world, we don't have control over anything. You think, you think you are healthy, and illness comes. You think you have um, loved ones forever, and soon death comes. You think you have your job secure, and soon un- unemployment comes. You think your life is great, and soon depression comes. And then you realize how weak and feeble you actually are. And you look at the servant. And you look at Jesus and think, what is, this, what is he going to do with people like that? Well, Jesus takes the weak and puts it in his hand and blows on it gently. And he preserves it. 
and he brings it back to life. Think for a moment on the parable of the widow of Naim in Luke chapter 7. He says in verse 11, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Naim, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the, the um, bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, man, I said to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Can you see the gentleness of the servant? Can you see the tenderness of the son? He saw this widow, and his heart went out to her. And the Lord Jesus looks at his people and, and he sees our weakness and his heart goes out to us. He is gentle. And perhaps this morning you're feeling like the biggest failure. I'm such a failure because I fail way too often. I feel so wretched. Well, listen to the servant. Listen to Jesus. He is gentle and he specializes in wretched people. He specializes in people who are failures. He's humble, he's gentle, and he is determined. As verses 3 and 4 reminds us, he will faithfully bring, bring forth justice. He will not fail or be discouraged. You see, in spite of all that people face, all the overwhelming, all that will come against the servant, he will keep going. He will persist. He will be faithful. He will not give up. He will bring his message to the ends of the earth. His teaching to the islands. He will give his light to the Gentiles. And the whole world will be blessed through the servant. Although we may falter, remember that the servant Jesus never will. Though we may stumble and fall, the servant Jesus will never let us go. He will come and lift us up. And he will keep us to carry on to the very end. So how do we respond to this servant? As I said at the beginning, the focus on the next few days and weeks, the focus on the run-up to Christmas, is going to be crazy, and we know this. Although the focus is on the run-up to Christmas, the whole world is getting ready to celebrate a Christmas without remembering the real Christmas miracle. Let us focus everything on the servant, on Jesus. Let's look and behold Jesus, the Lord, our God. And as you behold the servant, let your trust in him grow more and more. So you can trust completely in him. Remember, he is the delight of his father. And he is humble, gentle, persistent and gracious to fulfill the mission. And he will finish completely. You can trust in him. You can trust in the servant completely. But also, let's thank him. We can waste our time in many things. But one thing is treasured. 
a grateful and thankful heart. And God honors a thankful and grateful heart. Therefore, let's thank God, the Father, for sending his servant, the one who has started his mission and will complete it. And let's go forth and tell the world about him. Amen. Let me pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your servant who came into this dark world, who came, Lord, to, into um, the place where we were filled with sin to give us hope, to rescue us, and to let us free. Thank you that now we belong to you. Help us, Lord, on the next few days and weeks as the whole world celebrates Christmas without the Christmas um, real meaning. May you cause our eyes to look to you and to look the wonderful servant that you've sent um, for us. May our eyes see him more and more so that we will love him will obey him and bring all glory and honor to you. In his name we pray. Amen.